We're going to jump into where we left off last week. We have been in this series called The New Man. And I cannot stress enough of how important it is for you to grasp this because you'll notice that each week we start off reading the same scriptures. There's a reason for that, is you need to believe them. That's why we keep saying it. That's why we keep reading it. The problem is today is that we constantly agree with what the Bible said, but there's such a big difference between agreeing that the Bible is true and what it says is true and believing in it. When we look at what John 3.16, the catalyst in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? What is the key there? Belief in him. That's why he sent his son to the world. It was belief in him that makes the difference. Not belief that he was, not belief that he was a historical figure, not belief that he was simply a man, a prophet, whatever. It's belief in him. By putting your faith, your hope, and your trust in him, that is the catalyst. That's why we, we sit here and we talk about that baptism doesn't save you. It is a sign of that covenant that you enter into, but it doesn't save you because that has nothing to do with belief in God. That is a work, and we're not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith, and that is it. So you have to understand that. And the reason we're harping on this stuff for so long and will continue to do so is because we need to build up our faith to the point that we start to act like the church. That's where we need to go. We need to smell like the church, we need to talk like the church, we need to look like the church, we need to act like the church. You notice I didn't say a church, I said the church. Because this building is a church, it is where the church comes to meet. If this building goes away, where are we going to go meet? I don't know, we'll figure it out, right? Because this has nothing to do with our success in ministry, nothing. It's a blessing. It's great that we've got a paid-for building that looks nice and it's got lots of room and that we deliver pizza to it. That's pretty awesome. But besides that, that has nothing to do with it because ministry is not related on how much money you have or the resources you have availability. It's all stewardship. So we're continuing to build our faith up on what the Scriptures say until we get to the point that we believe it and we act on it. Okay? Believing something is irrelevant unless it changes our behavior. You can believe whatever you want, but if it doesn't change your behavior, it doesn't matter. And the keynote to all of this is understanding who you are in Christ, because that's where we're going. That's what we're working towards. We haven't gotten there yet, but we've been by piece by piece putting this together, understanding who we are. And so we've been reading out of Colossians chapter 3. We're going to do that again, starting in verse 1. It says, if then you were raised with Christ. Okay, now I've broken this down, but to be raised with Christ, what does that mean? What's the antithesis to that? That you were laid down with him, right? You were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So this tells us where Christ is at, right? Sitting at the right hand of God, which is a place of authority. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, when did you die? I mean, this is Paul writing to the church of uh, the Colossians, Colossae. Did, is he writing to dead people? No. He's spiritually speaking. When, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is who our life appears, then you also will appear with him glory, in glory. Therefore put to death your members, okay, the outer part of who you are, not the spiritual part, which are on the earth. As you've seen in Ephesians chapter 2, where is your spiritual part? It's seated at the right hand of God because the head is there and we are the body. The head and the body. Jesus is not decapitated. The body of Christ is not separated. It is together. So put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatries. And realize this is not an all-comprehensive list, okay? 
Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So what is he telling them? This is who you were. This is not who you are. All of those things that they were were pretty bad things. All of them were, right? But you are no longer this. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have done what? Put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Who created him? Jesus did. When did this new man come to be? The time that you were salvation. Ultimately back when Christ died and was resurrected. The image of him created where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. There is no separation among people anymore. It is now you are either in the body of Christ or you are not the body of Christ. There is nothing else to consider. We have to understand when we are made in Christ's image at the time of the new birth, when we are born again as what we call it, what Jesus called it, you must be born again is what he told Nicodemus, that you are no longer all of those other things. You are made new. Therefore, you are made right. Yes? You are now right. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. If you get that, then you should act like that. Have you ever noticed somebody who goes through a bodily transformation, say they were really heavy and they get really thin. You ever notice with a lot of those people, typically their clothes get tighter? You ever notice? Because spandex comes into play, right? Because they're proud of the new look. And they want to make sure that you notice it. I mean, in fact, they make you sick because they put pictures on Facebook. Oh, I lost 100 pounds. And they're always flexing. It's ridiculous. But, but whatever. But something has changed, and they are now confident in how they look and want to show it off. I'm not saying you should do this. This is not a prescription. I am simply describing what happens often, okay? This, and why are they doing that? Because that old man is gone. Check out the new man, right? Looking pretty all right. That's what I'm talking about. I went the opposite way, you know. I just, I continue to uh, insulate for winter. So, anyway. But the thing is, guys, is spiritually speaking, that new man created in the image of Christ is as if, when we talk about justification, Janet, what is justification? Just as if I never sinned. Why can we say that? Because Jesus said that. You're made right in the image of Christ. There is no sin in you. Okay, now let's go into 1 Corinthians 5, because this is what we talked about last week. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, this is still Paul talking, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are found of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, and that those who live should, no lo should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Didn't he just say that they all died? What's he talking about? You were spiritually dead. You were made alive in Christ. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer, because he's not on the earth. They knew him physically. He's not there anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Okay? Jesus didn't come to make bad things into good things. He made dead things into live things. Verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. 
Okay? How did he do it? How did God reconcile us, pay that price, and bring us back to him through his son? Right? These are all things that we know, but we don't think about them seriously enough. How powerful this is. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So, Jesus was performing the ministry of reconciliation. Yes? Right. And then, he's turned that over to us. Correct? That's what it just said. So, in order to understand what the ministry of reconciliation is, we have to look at his works. To see what it was that he did. Verse 20. Now then, because of this, this is what this means, we are now ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on whose behalf? Christ. Be reconciled to God. Okay? Well, that's what an ambassador does. When they represent somebody, whatever kingdom that may be, we're ambassadors of Christ. We're representing the kingdom of God on behalf of the one that we represent, be reconciled to God. That is our mission. That is our call. That is what we do. Every time we're sharing the gospel with somebody, we are begging them, be reconciled with God. Now, you could get into the debate here of this Calvinistic and, and, and all this other debate, but if God had pre-chosen this, why do we need to go tell them? Because God would have already made it happen. Verse 21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And in Him is the key. Whoever believes in Him will not perish. In Him is the key. That is how we become the righteousness of God, is in Him. If you take nothing else away and you understand it's in Him, because that should give you excitement, because that it's in Him, which means it was by Him, and it was also through Him, and it was not because of you, that means you couldn't have done anything to make that happen. Guess what? You can't do anything to make that go away, because it is in Him and through Him. So, this ministry of reconciliation, on Christ's behalf, we implore you, we're the ambassadors of Christ, be reconciled to God. He had, Jesus had the ministry of reconciliation on this earth, he's turned that over to us. What did he come to do? 1 John 3, 8, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. We went down last week, if you recall, I brought out the old marker board and said, what are the works of the devil? And we looked at, at sickness, and we looked at a whole death, and we looked at a whole bunch of stuff. But when you break all of that down, there was one underlying thing that Jesus came to destroy, and that was sin. Sin has been destroyed. There's all these verses, and we could go into them all, but we don't have all day, is that you're no longer a slave to sin, but you're now a son, right? Why are we no longer slaves to sin? Jesus destroys sin from the midst of us. In other words, our spiritual person who was dead in sin, a slave to sin, could do no right in the eyes of God, was killed just like when Jesus was on the cross, and we were resurrected new. Therefore, that sin is not in us. We're in the world, we're not of it, right? Sin's all around us. We act on that. There's this whole battle that goes on with our spirit and our flesh. But it's not in us because we are in Him and there is no sin in Him. God had to take the sins of the world and put it on Him for Him to carry this out because there was no sin in Him. You guys see how this works. This is so powerful. 
So when you think about this, now, when we go to God, how does the world go to God and they approach God? Well, you can look at all sorts of different ways that they do this, right? There's religions out there. There's one religious that says that his, our God died for us. Everyone else requires sacrifice on our behalf in order for us to be right with God in some capacity, right? So by removing the sin, we should be able to do what? Boldly walk into the throne room of grace. Right? Why can't we? Because it's not based off of what you do. It's based off of who He is. So when we, we talk about, I mean, we miss the mark, right? We sin physically speaking, but that sin's not in us because He removed that. And now we're raised in His image. So therefore, our spirit is no longer dead in sin. It is alive in Christ. But our man, yeah, we, we mess up. We miss the mark. That takes us maybe out of fellowship with God. But the reason we can go boldly to God is because of the new man that we are in His image. Think about the Old Testament. How did they have to approach God? It was, a, it was a, like a series of different things that had to take place. And the individual never approached God. Ever. If they got so close to the tabernacle, or not the tabernacle, but the, uh, um, well, the Holy of Holies, but more so the uh, Ark of the Covenant, that's what I'm trying to say, that they touched it. What happened when they touched it? Died. Instantly. Because why? They were in sin. Because the blood of bulls and goats cannot remove that sin. It simply covered over it. But still, they could not approach God. Sin cannot approach God. You have to be made in His image. Adam and Eve walked in the cool of day with God. Hey, what's up? Here you got God walking around. I bet they high-fived and played hacky sack. I mean, they were hanging out until what happened? Sin it separate them. Dying, you will die. Spiritually speaking, they were dead. And because of that sin, it brought death physically. But spiritually, they died in that moment. And there was this plan all set up before the foundation of the world. But we walk boldly. When we remove sin, now he can say, bring your burden to me. Right? What burdens he talking about? We don't have the burden of trying to be right with God. We have the burdens of this world, but we come to him. Look at what Matthew 11 says. Starting in verse 25, it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. And he's referring there to the Pharisees and all these super smart people that were all screwed up. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one of whom the Son wills to reveal to him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can you do this? We've got to, it's this new man, it's the only way. Because everything up to that point was a series of events that had to take place in order for you to be at least in the presence of God. You remember what Moses said? He talked about, Lord, if you don't go with me, if your presence doesn't go with me into the promised land, I don't want to go. All he wanted to be is where God was. But we don't share that today. We don't act like that today. We take for granted the relationship and covenant that we have with God. They'd have given anything to give or to have what we have today. In fact, the prophets yearned for it and talked about it. And Hebrews 11 goes through like they, they just said, without ever seeing the fulfillment of the promise, they stayed in faith. You and I share in the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus coming, and yet we take it for granted. Because, and, and because of that, we don't take the seriousness of what in Him means. 
I mean, think about it. It started with the, the tabernacle, right? So the nation of Israel was in, in bondage in Egypt. They get escaped. God provides for them, brings them out. And then he tells Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle, right? It's this whole tent. He said, and there inside the most holy place is the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top, which was the throne of God and the presence of God stayed there. And it would get up and move and then they would follow it. I mean, that's essentially how it worked. But all of these are used. Anytime you see the word temple, it can refer to anything, including the tabernacle. Don't let that confuse you. But, so from there you get this temporary thing that was an exact image of what Moses saw in heaven. And then you get into Solomon's temple that David so desperately wanted to build. I mean, he funded the entire operation. He brought in uh, the timber, he brought in the gold, all the stones were cut. All Solomon had to do was just make it happen, right? I'd make a, uh, a Oklahoma Sooners joke if Stan was here today about Bob Stoops. Like, all the players were there. He just kind of shows up and wins them a national championship. You know, what did he do to get it? He never won one after that. I think that's a coincidence. I'm calling Stan and bringing that up today. Okay. But, but here's the thing. As Solomon took the work that was laid out by his father and then just completed it. And it was the most glorious temple that ever existed. Nothing ever had compared to it. But the entire description of that was an example of what it saw in heaven. And the people still had to come to the temple to worship God. And on one day of the year, could one man, the high priest, enter into the very presence of God. When the temple was dedicated, it said the presence of God was so thick they couldn't even enter into the, te the temple. People falling down in the presence of God. I mean, because it was so tangible. So from there, then they go into captivity. The whole temple gets wiped out. Zerubbabel comes back, and all he wants to do is one thing. i got to build this temple. And he comes back, and he builds it. But it wasn't glorious. It talks about the Israelites, how they cried at the sight of this thing. Because it was basically, yeah, it was a place that housed God, but it was not Solomon's temple. Now, the people that had left that area and had come back, they're the ones that are crying. The young ones that were born in captivity... They didn't know the difference. It's a temple. It works for us. But they, I mean, even Jews today don't really count that as part of, of the temple. They, they look at Herod's temple because that's a lot more glorious. Which is the one that comes next? It's Herod's temple. He builds that. Which, it was like 60 B.C. Is that, I think, something like that, right? 60 B.C., about when he built Herod? 20 B.C. Okay, see? This is why we keep her around. She's uh, Miss Encyclopedia. For you young folks, that was a series of books that you paid way too much money for that sat on your shelf. These are pre-Google days, okay, just so you know. I know you have no idea what I'm talking about. But, but anyway, but, but I mean, so he built this. He basically took Zerubbabel's temple, expanded it, and made it glorious. That's what he did. He didn't build it from the ground up. He just made it better. And so you have all of these temples and stuff. And then Jesus shows up. And he looks at it and he says, hey, guys, you see that temple over there? Yeah, it's going to be destroyed. Now, this is something you got to get. Like, this would be heartbreaking for them because this is where they worship. This is where the presence of God is. And he said, the reason it's going to be destroyed is because the nation of Israel didn't recognize my coming. So in 70 AD, of course, that happens. But Jesus, in all he was saying, he said, hey, that's okay. Because there's a temple not made with hands. And what is that temple now? You're looking at it. Look around the room. Don't just look up here. It's, it's all of us. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are literally the fulfillment of all these things that were simply pictures in heaven. You are the fulfillment of that. Now, that means something. Because where you go, God goes. Yes? I don't know if you think about it that way. But He's with you always. Everywhere you are. Good and bad. Good decisions, bad decisions, everywhere you go. If you go to the grocery store and yell at some lady over a parking spot, hey, Jesus is standing there with you. Think about that for a minute, okay? If you're a Black Friday shopper and you're pushing over women and children to get to the front of the line, 
Jesus is there with you. He's watching you. Could be lightning. Smite thee. Don't go Black Friday shopping. Be American. Eat more turkey. See, where people used to go to the house of God to find him, now the house of God goes to the people. There's such a difference here. And the reason we can have the ministry of reconciliation, in other words, we're telling the people all the things that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, that sin has been removed. All you have to do is believe in him. And if you believe in him that sin has been removed, then you believe in him for every other promise that was made. And there are lots of them. There are lots of them. When Jesus stood up and read out of Isaiah and said, today this has been fulfilled in your, in your presence, he's making a bold claim. I mean, look at the works of Jesus. Should not, and he said, I come preaching the kingdom of God, teaching in the synagogues, and laying hands on the sick. I mean, that's really what he did. So should not the current temple of God housing him be doing the same works that he did? Because if you're confused by that, maybe we should look at the example of the apostles. Because what did they do? followed in his footsteps. They went around preaching the kingdom, teaching in the synagogues, and laying hands on the sick. Where did we stop this? We stopped it because we've got all these traditions, these man-made things that are going on. I mean, if you don't believe me, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you believe that or do you disagree with it? Because we don't believe it or we would act like it. We agree with it, right? Like the Spirit of God is in you. That's huge. Huge. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is where? In you. Whom you have from whom? God. You are not your own. Why? Because you were bought with a price. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now wait a minute. There's two separations there. We glorify God in our spirit because it's made in the image of Him and wants to please God. But our body, it doesn't at all. It doesn't want to go to church. It doesn't want to read its Bible. It doesn't want to pray. What it wants to do is play video games and eat peanut butter cups. And many times it wins the argument. Amen, right, Janet? You get it. Yeah, you know. Maybe not so much the video game part, but she loves her a peanut butter cup. If you're thinking of a Christmas list, there you have it. You see, what you've got to understand is that the cross, and this is the problem, we look at the cross, we bow down to the cross, but it's not the cross that saved us. It was the resurrection that is the hope of the glory and the faith that we have in Him. The cross isn't the revelation of your sin, the cross is the revelation of your value. Because it was on that cross that the price was paid to reconcile you to Him. What was it worth to God in order to bring you into the fold and be made right in Him? It was worth Him coming into His creation and dying. Greater love has no man than this, that a, uh, that a man laid down his life for his friend. We, laid that, we read that last week. That before the foundation of the world, God knew we were going to screw up and this was going to have to happen. And yet he loved us so much that he was still willing to do it and willing to die for us. There was a song and we've sang it here before. It's like, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. That's all great. But we do know how much it costs. It's not factual. It cost God himself, his life on this earth. And he willingly did it. And that's how much you mean to him. Like you've got to get your value here. Because you'll ne if you never understand your value, you'll never fulfill the calling and destiny of God on your life. 
And I'm not talking about, i got to have this big ministry or i got to go do this. I am talking about walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in this earth and right where you're planted, flourishing and doing great things for God right here. You ever notice that you cannot do great things of God where you live? It always has to go somewhere else, right? That's how we act. It's like, oh, I can't wait till God calls me somewhere else. So I can do great things for him. Whatever happened to just doing great things where you are? Do you realize that the exception to the rule or the, uh, is the apostles going around into all the world? That most people lived and worked where they were born and they did things for God right there. Where did we ever get it was going to be different? Because the grass is always greener. We see people on TV like, oh, I wish I could have a ministry like that. We see churches that are built up. I wish I could be a part of a ministry like that. It's like, hey, I just want to be wherever God calls me to be. That's Rockport, Missouri. Praise God. We'll do great work right here. If that's uh, uh, down in El Salvador, praise God, we'll do great work right there. Right? It's understanding this. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, still Paul talking, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is what? The church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, okay, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. So we're going to figure out what this mystery is. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Is Christ coming out of us? Is the hope manifested in this earth? We've, we are the body of Christ. It just says that's what it is. The church, the ecclesia. That is us, all of us here. There was this mystery about dealing with the Gentiles. That's all of us. Because ain't none of us Jewish, right? That we were brought into the fold as the people of God to do the work of God. And it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what do we do? We preach and we're warning every man and we're teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, when I said perfect, your mind just went, but none of us are perfect. You've missed the entire point. You are perfect spiritually. This man's going to die, but the inward man will not. Because he has been made alive and new in Christ. We have to get this. You have to understand that people, mankind, is the pinnacle of creation. We and we alone as people are the apple of God's eye, if you will. In Genesis chapter 1, look at what he says in verse 26. This is the creation account. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Did he say that about anything else? Nope. He even left man to name everything else. According to our likeness, let them do what? Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There, I'm telling you what, there are people out there hunting today that are claiming this over deer right now. Hey, I have dominion over you. Walk in front of me so I can kill you and eat you because you're delicious. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You know what? It expands upon man's creation. Everything else just kind of goes as a passerby. But man was the pinnacle. He creates man. He says, listen, I want you to have dominion over the earth. I want you to expand the garden. Remember in chapter 2, he created all the earth. And he planted a garden eastward in Eden. And then he took man. He put you in it. And he said, all right, expand it. You run it. 
we screwed it up. But understand this, everything else that was created is for the benefit and to support mankind, right? You can eat of any tree in the garden except one, right? So he planted all these trees that we could eat. After the flood in Genesis chapter 9, he said, now I give you permission to eat meat. Praise the Lord. Because we'd be all vegetarians and not happy, right? Because that is not what God said to do. He said, eat meat. I think that's a command. I'm pretty sure. Talk to your vegan friends. Tell them they're missing God. Everything was created to support man, including the angels. You see, there's so many believers like, man, I just, I'd love to see an angel. Why? They're there to support you, to work for you. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. I'm going to pause here for a minute, because think about it. Contextually, who is being spoken to here? The Hebrews. The Israelites, right? Keep that in mind, because the book of Hebrews is a very Jewish book who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on the high. Were your sins purged? Yeah, that's what it just said. Having become so much better than the angels, as He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did He ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to Him a father, and He shall be to me a son. But when he brings, again, brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the son, he says, you, your throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness and the scepter of the kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain and they will all grow old like a garment, like a clock you will or a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool? You see how the angels are kind of the subject here? Verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to do what? Minister for those who will inherit salvation. Who are those people? People. Who inherit salvation? No other creation. So what were the angels created for? To be ministering spirits, to minister, to support, to help us. That's it. So now wait a minute, because here we've got something supernatural that we can't see and we're all obsessed with, right? I mean, here pretty quick this time of year, you're going to see a whole bunch of pictures with angels on it and blowing trumpets and halos and, and all sorts of weird stuff and, and fat little baby angels floating around and stuff. I mean, you're going to see all sorts of things that have nothing to do with the Bible, but why? Because we have an obsession with angels this time of year, right? We're getting into the holidays. Right? An angel said to, uh, to Mary, you know, all of this different stuff. But yet, here, they're just the workmen. Who are they made for? It's for us. You've got to understand that. We are the apple of his eye. The problem is, is that people don't know their place in him. We are praying to God and to Jesus, just rescue us out of this big, bad world. But that we are the conduit to do what? Destroy the works of the enemy. In order to do that, we have to act like the ambassador of Christ, that we are in Him, and therefore we are His workmanship, we are His representative through what He did. And everything else will bow its knee to the name of Jesus, which you have upon you because you were made new in Him. You should walk with some boldness and with some authority when it comes to spiritual things in this world because of that. 
We should not cower at the things of God. We should boldly walk in them because they all have to do with Him on our behalf. Do you guys get it? Do you believe it? This is what we have to understand because going forward, we've got to be doing God's work. The truth is, is we're ashamed of God's work. We cower around and we're thinking, well, this isn't, you know, we want to be politically correct. or we, I don't want to share my faith. I was speaking at a baccalaureate one time. I was the keynote, and then they had a couple uh, uh, speakers before this, and this lady had gotten up there, and she's like, you know, I don't often talk about my faith because I feel it's very private. Um, it's really just between me and God. And so I immediately, in that moment, changed what I was speaking about. And I got up and I said, there is nothing private about your faith because there was nothing private about the Son of God coming in this earth and dying on that cross for it. You should boldly pronounce it to all the world because if you believe that the Bible is true, then you will believe that all those who aren't in Him are going to spend eternity in hell. And if you don't love people enough to tell them the truth, then you deserve to be there with them. You do not have the heart of God. I never got asked to speak at that baccalaureate again. <laughs> but it's the truth. How, do you, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about the Jesus that came into this world and died for them? How much do you have to hate somebody that when you know they're sick, that you refuse to go pray for them because I don't know if it's going to work? I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody to do that? But we do it all the time. We just don't think about it. Well, I don't hate them. I love them. I just don't want to offend them or, or I don't want to be embarrassed. Or what if it doesn't work? They might think badly of me. I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, sharing my faith is my job. Convincing them of it, not my job. Laying hands on the sick, my job. Making sure they got healed, God's job, not mine. So what's stopping us? Because we don't believe this word. We are ashamed of the gospel. When Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? It's the power of God to salvation for what? Everyone who believes for the Jew first and also the Greek. By the way, the Jew first, that never stopped. Still for the Jew. For in it, what? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Why does he say this? If you don't know that you are right with God made in his image, then you will be ashamed of the gospel. How can I be bold to proclaim these things? Simply believe what it says. You ever got pulled over by an arrogant cop? There's a boldness there. I know you guys don't speed, so you never get pulled over, right? Right. But think about it. When they walk up to your window, sometimes you get a friendly one. But they don't pull punches. They'll walk up there. You know, oh, hi, officer. How are you today? How's your family doing? Name and registration. You know, they just want to give me your driver's license. They don't care. They're not being nice. Why? There's a boldness there because they know that you are wrong and that they are right and they have the authority to do what they want. And where does that authority come from? It comes from the government. It's represented in that badge. Okay? Now put that in terms of a believer. Where does our power come from? It comes from God. What is it represented? The Holy Spirit being in us, this new man. It's the same thing. When you boldly believe the words of God, you will boldly act out the words of God, and you will not be ashamed of the gospel. And guess what? I would bet the majority of us in here have been ashamed of the gospel. But maybe when we leave today, we won't be, because we'll begin to recognize the things that he says, and hey, I'm going to believe in this. I'm not going to just agree with it. It's true. We're going to be the church. God's workmanship here. Hebrews chapter 4, last verse, I promise, and then I'm going to get you guys out of here to eat pizza. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Remember, still very Jewish flavor. They had high priest. 
He was the one that went into the Holy and Holies every year on the Day of Atonement. The one individual person who could walk into the presence of God. But he had to do a whole bunch of rituals to get there to be made clean enough to do it. If he didn't, he died. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, so he just told us who that great high priest is, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he went through everything that you and I did, and he just got it right. We got it wrong. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need, we don't enter boldly into that throne. When we walk into God, I'm so sorry. We make our lives pious. We're like, oh, oh, I'm just, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to live in poverty. I mean, we take vows of poverty and, and stuff. You know, I wish people would stop taking vows of poverty. There's some people I wish to take more vows of silence. That would be all right. But, but I mean, it's like we, we do these things. Why? Because we're trying to impress God. Oh, God, I'm going to fast for a week. Good. Why are you doing that? So God will love me. I mean, there's just all these crazy things that we do. You know, there are people that wake up in the morning, oh, I got to read my Bible. Why do you got to read your Bible? Um, I don't know. I just got to. That's just become a religious exercise that we do. It's not because I want to learn about God. It's not because I want to hear from him. It's because we're going to do this. But how do we enter boldly? Without the blood of Jesus, you will stand before God for every act that you did in your life. But with the blood of Jesus, you have been washed clean and made new in him. And you're going to be standing upon his works. Who do you want to stand and face God with? The work of Jesus or your own? I hope you say the work of Jesus because you got a lot better chance. The problem is, is we compare ourselves to other people to see who's good and who's bad. We look at them like, man, they give so much, or they're always there to help out, or, or I don't have as much money, or I would give more, or, or whatever the case may be. But that's not who we compare ourselves to. We compare ourselves to God. And the only way that you can show up in comparison to the things of God is being washed by the blood of Jesus because in that you are made new into the image of God, ambassadors for Him, in His likeness. Now you don't stink of sin because sin has been destroyed. It was the work of the devil. Jesus didn't say go into the world and make confessing Christians. He said go and make disciples. We have to pick up the mantle of the ministry of reconciliation. Whose job is it? It's ours, but we're always waiting for somebody else. We're thinking, I don't know enough. I don't pray enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough. I can't go enough. People don't listen to me. I can't speak well enough. These are all excuses. When are we going to start acting like the church? It starts with believing in Him, believing His Word. When you get that, there's this boldness. Now, I've told you guys before, and I share with you guys stories out of my life because stories, and I don't know your stories. But when I was younger, I was scared to death to talk about Jesus to anybody. I mean, if they came and asked me, that would be one thing. But part of my, my fear is like, they're going to ask a question I don't know, right? And they did. And here I am, you know, 20 years later, and they still do, right? That's never going to go away. I might be able to skirt around the issue enough to convince him of something, but, but I don't know everything, just most things, but not everything. But, but I was scared to do it because I didn't really believe it. Like, I never thought about that. Jesus' death was literally the power of God unto salvation. And it's like, how do I not love people enough to share that? How do I not love people enough? He says, love one another as I have loved you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. How do we not love people like Jesus loved us? Was Jesus ever not bold? Oh, he was bold. 
There was some table flipping and whips going on at one point. He was pretty bold. I'm not suggesting you do that, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, we've got to get this. Like, I want you guys so encouraged out of this, because this is different than how I normally teach. I think we've established that. I don't normally do this. Um, but, but we've got to get out of the point where we're just sitting like, yeah, I agree, I agree with the Bible. I've got to believe it. When you're so bold that the Bible is true, that you will not waste a single opportunity to share that truth with somebody, whether that be salvation, whether that be healing, whether that be correcting a, a, a misunderstanding of what Scripture is, whatever the case may be, it's that we are His representatives, and we've got a job to do. Quit making excuses. It is time for the church to rise up. If we are the body of Christ, that means we are his hand and his feet. Why aren't we walking? Why aren't we healing? Why aren't we touching? Why aren't we giving? Why aren't we loving? Why aren't we speaking? Why aren't we doing everything that he did? If he said, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation, then why aren't we looking at his example and say, hey, what is my ministry? This is my ministry. Where should I do that? Right where I'm planted. This is where I'll grow. This is where I'll flourish. If God brings me into someplace else, great, I'll do the exact same thing there. But I will never allow my circumstances, my checkbook, or where I'm at to keep me from doing what God has called me to do in my life. Amen. This is the call of the church. It's time we wake up. Praise God. 